0: Well, good morning, everyone. I am uh, equally excited for our time together. It's been actually a while since my family and I have worshipped here uh, with the Chesterfield campus, so I hope everyone's summer is in full swing. I hope you've been able to finally get out and do things and travel like we all have not been able to in the past year. So, in fact, my family and I, we just got back into town this Friday from a few, uh, actually for about a week in Nashville, and and while we're down there, this this story happened like three days ago. While we're down there, we're sitting at the pool, we're having this this great time, and, and over to my left, there's these guys having this conversation, and I didn't listen to the whole thing, but here's exactly how it started. The one friend comes up, and he swims up to his other friend. He said, hey, man, how you been doing? And the other friend says, man, I've been really good. How about you? You busy? Now, it's obvious these guys knew each other, and, and they, so they started talking about business and numbers and all the meetings that they're having, and I'm sure it turned out to be a riveting conversation, but I absolutely tuned out because did you hear how the conversation started he didn't ask his friend if he was good, he asked if he was busy, as if good and busy are synonymous, right? How many people have had a conversation that have started like that? Right? Because we, we all have. You know why? Because being busy in our day and age is actually a badge of honor. It's almost like it's the, the highest moral ethic that you can attain to. It's also, uh, being busy is also a free pass. It'll get you out of any conversation, any commitment, and any jam at any time. And there's no guilt involved either, right? It'll get you out of it with ease because everyone understands and applauds what you're saying. You'd say, uh, you, you know, you, you're, you're talking with a friend. You say, man, I'm, I'm so sorry I didn't make your thing, but I've just been so busy. Hey, I'd love to catch up and grab coffee. Let's get time. But you know, when it slows down a little bit, everything's just so busy. And, every, and the person you're talking to, they totally understand because everybody does the same thing. We're all thinking the same thing. So that's how our relationships go. And being good looks a lot like being busy. And like those two guys exchanging egos at the pool, the busier you are, the more validated that you feel and the more validated the other person sees you as. But the crazy part is, even if we're not busy or we feel uncomfortable or or, or, we're bored with all the free time that we have, we've got all these fancy little devices that fix that problem for us in an instant, right? We've got notifications to check, we've got games to play, feeds to scroll, things to tweet, TikToks to look at, emails to answer. There is a ton to do. Even when there's nothing to do. And we all know it, don't we? Like we can't even hide anymore. In fact, as I'm sitting there, I got a I got a message on my phone that says my weekly report is available for my screen time. And I I didn't open my phone because I want you to see this. This actually says, My weekly screen time was down 36% last week. Which is great, but I had four hours on my screen time last week, right? So four hours a day, that's my average screen time per day. And I wanted to put that up there so I'm not just preaching from some perch up here. This is my screen time, but it absolutely indicts us as how we spend our time. If you look, But look, I use my maps a lot, right, because I went on vacation, so that's, that's a little bit of a, of, a, of a pass for me. But C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said it perfectly, not of screen time, but about our day and age of connectedness, busyness, and constant work. He said this. He said, we live in a world starved for solitude, silence, and private, and therefore starved for meditation and friendship. He said those words almost 70 years ago. How much truer is that for us today with all the technology we have? So here's my question as we dive in today. When is the last time that you genuinely slowed down, that you turned everything off and you intentionally spent dedicated, unhurried, uninterrupted time with God? Like just you and him, right? Without distractions, without your phone, without anybody else around, just you and him. The key word in that question for me is unhurried it's an indictment on, on, the, on the shallowness of what I would personally call rest and quiet time in solitude with my Savior in my own life. So maybe for you, it's a similar story. Like maybe your time with God is, is, is just cut short or it's non-existent because life wakes up with you in the morning at breakneck speed. There's no way to hold it back. So, so life just is, 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 it gets in the way, right? let alone have any, have any quiet time with God at any point in your day. So hear me say this. I want you to hear me say this. You are not alone because all of us live in that same place. We live in the same culture with the same distractions, so we all feel the same tension. So we're gonna take a breather today. We're just gonna take a deep breath breath right now. We're going we're gonna to take a breath from the pressure we feel, and we're going to fight back and really learn how to follow Jesus the way he tells us to when it comes to this. And the place we're going to follow him into in my opinion, is the secret weapon to the Christian life. If there was ever a way to fight back against this culture and the pressures we feel to conform, this is it. And this is the one secret. It's like a stick of dynamite waiting to be lit and waiting to be thrown into your life, not just into your heart, but into the gates of hell itself to to push back and blow apart this war on our souls that Satan so easily entangles us with. It's like this brilliant and sinister strategy that just keeps the people of God, that keeps you and me always working harder, always busier, and always pressing forward and onward and upward in the name of either personal or spiritual success. To put it a better way, he keeps us always doing with very little being. So what we end up with is the five Ds of a busy, hurried life. Distraction, discouragement, discontentment, Doubt and disappointment. Anyone dealing with any one of those today? And I want to say them again because I think it's so important. We just have to pinpoint and recognize that what the scheme of the enemy is and what you are personally fighting with. Which one of those describes your life today? Are you distracted? Are you discouraged? Discontent, maybe filled with a lot of doubt, or are you disappointed with God? Whatever it is for you, I want you to write it down. Put it in your phone, make a note of it. Maybe it's more than one, and that's okay. Just write it down and drag it into the light because we're going to put a bullseye on it today. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to ask God to destroy that stronghold in our life through the gift of one of the most powerfully life changing, but the most challenging and least experienced spiritual habits among Christians today. It's the habit of solitude. And my prayer is that we're never the same because of it. So if you brought your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter one. Father, we come to you. We pray that you would bless the reading of your word. Holy Spirit, come, stretch us, mold us, lead us into the quiet place as we look at your word and follow Jesus into solitude. Amen. So we're back in uh, the the week two of a short three week series called Habits: Ancient Practices for Today's World, where we're focusing on what has historically been referred to as the spiritual disciplines. But before we jump in, I wanna I wanna I just wanna define what it means when we talk about spiritual disciplines. And I think Don Whitney uh, defined them best. He says it this way: He says spiritual disciplines are the practices found in Scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he said this: They're habits of of devotion, habits of experiential Christianity that have been practiced by God's people since biblical times. And then he gives us a warning. He warns, uh, almost like he warns our religious heart, the, the, the religious tendencies we have. He says, we're not godly just because we practice the spiritual disciplines. That was the great error of the Pharisees because they felt that they were they were they were godly because they practiced these things no he says discipline uh, the the spiritual disciplines are the means not the end the goal of practicing any spiritual discipline he said is not about doing as much as it is being being like Jesus and being with Jesus And I thought that was so powerful because the habits that we're going to be talking about are all about doing for the sake of being. And today we're going to see three things from the text that help us understand why we need solitude, the result of of putting it into practice, and what God does in and through solitude because of it. So let's look at verse 35 and see our need for solitude. It says, And rising very early in the morning, talking about Jesus, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. He prayed. So at first glance, it would be really easy to gloss over this passage. Just like we've read it a thousand times, right? Just chalking it up to Jesus doing what Jesus does, right? Like we say, of course he went out and prayed. He's Jesus. That's what he did. And that would be a very dry and religious and and, and tragic way to read through this passage because if we don't stop and really see what's happening, we miss the whole point of what Jesus is actually doing. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5 says that every word in Scripture is perfect, And it's true and it's flawless. So let's not skip over this too fast because when we look at the context of this passage, we're going to see that Jesus does something here that what he's doing here, he did in the middle of intense ministry. I mean, he wasn't getting up early in the morning because he just had his devotion to do and he needed to check it off for the day. No, he broke away from everything and everyone to be with his father because he needed it. And so do we. So let's walk back about 34 verses to the beginning of the chapter. You're going to see what I mean. (laughs) Thank you. The <laughs> cat the Gospel of Mark, it's well known for being this like fast-paced, sweeping, action-packed account of Jesus' life and ministry. And Mark hits the ground running. So if you look at verses 1 to 8, we see John the Baptist, I'm not going to read through them all, but we see John the Baptist uh, just preparing the way for Jesus the Messiah in the wilderness, preaching a message of repentance. Then in verses 9 through 11, Jesus comes to John, he gets baptized, he hears the voice of the Father affirming him, and then verse 11, or in verse 12, it says that the Spirit immediately draws him out into the wilderness for 40 years days to be tested and tempted by Satan. (sighs) So let's slow down right there. Because testing and temptation was a huge part of that 40 days in the wilderness. But it wasn't the only part. That's not all that that 40 days was. Let's not miss that. Because what I want us to see is that before Jesus did one miracle, before Jesus talked to one person, before he healed one disease, he was alone with his father, In prayer, in the quiet place, in solitude for 40 days. The beginning of Jesus' ministry wasn't when he stepped on the scene in Galilee. The beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry was when he drew away to the wilderness, being filled up so that he could be poured out. And what happens for the next 20 verses between verses 14 and 34, he comes out of that time of solitude with his father. He walks into Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit and preaching with power the gospel of the kingdom. So out of that solitude, this is exactly what happens. He calls four of his disciples, goes to another town. He teaches, casts out a demon, and heals Peter's mother-in-law. And that was all before dinner. His day's just warming up. He's just getting started. Talk about an exhausting day because verse 32 and 33 says right after that, right after all this happened, the entire city came to see him. And he spent the rest of that night healing the sick and casting out many demons. And then finally, after a day like that, in context... We watch our Savior wake up really, really early while it was still dark, probably still exhausted when most of us would sleep in. He gets up while it's still dark and goes into the only place in the world that could sustain him for another day. He goes to the secret place of solitude to be with his Father. And we know from the rest of the Gospels this was not a one-time thing. Luke chapter 5, verse 16 says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places, and he prayed. This was his regular practice. It's what we're talking about. This is his habit. This is a beautiful moment right here, and I pray that we can slow down enough to listen and learn what God said. Let this text be our classroom to learn to do what Jesus did. Because if the Son of God, Son of God in the flesh, needed solitude and rest and quiet, how much more do we Amen? I love how Henry Nowen put it. He said, without solitude, it's virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We don't take the spiritual life seriously if we don't set aside time to be with God to listen to him. Guys, this isn't a spiritual add-on to our lives. This isn't something that we just do because it's something to do. We need this. And by the, by, by, by the list of, of, of the Ds that I put on the, uh, on the screen and, and by what we probably wrote down, I think we know it. So what is solitude, right? I think we have an idea, but, but based on the biblical practice, what exactly is solitude? Well, at the simplest level, solitude is being alone with God on purpose. It's heeding the voice of the psalmist in, in, in Psalm 4610 to be still and know that he is God. And in Psalm 37, verse 7, to be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. But more specifically, it's an intentional act of discipleship. It's a pulling away from other people and other things in order to be alone with God, to hear from him, and to let his voice be the loudest voice in your life again. We have a lot of voices in our lives. Let his voice be the loudest voice in your life again. Solitude is an active place. Now, this is very different. Abe did a masterful job last week talking about Sabbath rest. This is solitude is different. Sabbath is resting from our work, and we can we can Sabbath with other people. Solitude is much different. It's a getting away. It's it's a getting away from people and entertainment, whether it's TV or social media or games or anything else, or even even getting away from your responsibility. Because listen to me, all of that can wait, not because the people in your life and the responsibilities you have aren't important, but because they're important. So important, in fact, that we choose God over them so that we can come back strengthened and ready and refreshed again to be all that we need to be for them. You know, Jesus said two words in the Gospels that grip me every time that I read them, and I hope they grip you too. Two simple words. He said, follow me. And the amazing part is that he meant it. He said, follow me into solitude. Follow me into the quiet place, into the presence of my Father. Follow me into the place of power and peace and rest. How many need power and peace and rest this morning? I do. Follow me boldly into the throne of grace, into the presence of the Holy Spirit who's waiting for you there to breathe new life into you. That's available in your living room. That's available in your car. That's available in the shower. That's available in your closet. It's available anywhere. He's waiting for us there. Who are we that God is mindful of us? Who are we that God waits for us to fill us, to empower you for the day, for every circumstance, for this circumstance that you're going through right now and for the destroying of strongholds in your life, destroying all those five Ds that maybe you wrote down or maybe, maybe we're just content to keep scrolling, just to keep swiping, to keep binging on all the cheap stuff. There's a, there's a phrase that I say in my house all the time to my kids. I have teenagers and a, and a preteen. I say, guys, don't go after the cheap stuff. I mean, yeah, it's good to take a break and do that, but what just, it's cheap stuff, right? Guys, this is not a condemnation. This is a loving question. I'm trying to wake us up to the reality that we're in a war. Jesus Christ himself is calling you and me with these words. He's saying, follow me, your general, into battle. Follow me, the captain of your soul, because I've already won. I've already won the war for you. Come and take the gift that's waiting for you in the quiet place of solitude. You have no idea what I want to do and and what I want to show you there and what's waiting for you there. You have to come. So let's look at verse 35 one more time and follow Jesus there to see what practicing solitude actually looks like. Again, in rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed After reading that verse again, having a better understanding of what solitude actually is, we catch a glimpse of what Jesus did and where he goes. And it's the perfect example for us to follow. It says he went out to a desolate place. The word desolate there in our English is the Greek word eremos. It has a lot of different ways that it can be translated. It can be translated uh, a, a desert, a wilderness, a deserted place, a solitary place, or even a quiet place. Even in, in, in any and all of these, the, the, the application for us is still the same. Because what Mark's getting at is that Jesus got up and he left. He went out and he went away. He disconnected from the people around him. He got away from the noise to pursue the quiet. I'm going to say that again because I need it for my own heart. He got away from the noise to pursue the quiet. And there's a massive distinction and a caution here that needs to be made. It's kind of like what Don Whitney was warning us about uh, about the religiousness in us. Because the truth is, you can escape to a quiet place and still not experience solitude. That's the danger, because solitude's a posture of the heart. And to truly experience it and to follow Jesus into it, we need two things: we need a place and we need a purpose. The place probably for most of us is the easy thing, right? For me, it's, it's usually at my island in my kitchen or my kitchen table or, or somewhere around my house. I don't know where it is for you, but you probably have a place in mind. But the purpose of solitude is where the real work comes in. It's where the hard work begins because it takes surrender. It requires letting go of all the noise, not just around us, but inside of us. Right? I think we all know it's easy. Well, eh, easy is a relative word. It's easy to turn off our phones. It's easy to turn off the TV or the computer or, 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 or any of these things that we can power down with, this, with a push of a button. But it is a terrifying thing. It's an all-out assault to turn off the chatter and all the noise in our minds and hearts. I've been looking for that easy button all of my life. There's no easy button But there is silence in solitude. That's where prayer comes in. That's where it takes just taking a minute to get still and to relax and and go before the Father in prayer, just quieting our hearts and asking him to remove all the noise, asking him to remove all the distractions and all the busyness in our hearts so that he can finally speak. And I'm going to talk more about that later. I'll never forget the first time that I was challenged to do this. it, It changed everything for me. It was so impactful, in fact, that I wrote down what I felt God saying in my spirit at the time, and I keep it in my safe at home in a journal. I, I've told this story before, but every year or so I, I go down to a, 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 a global leadership summit in Atlanta where 50 to 60 ministry leaders all over the world. We come together, we get together to, to grow and recharge and learn how to better serve God in the context that he has us in. And, and it's something that all of us look, look forward to every year. Some of these guys, they live in remote places around the world, and this is their only time once a year to actually get rest and slow down. The days are packed with trainings, and, and there, there's like, it's, it's five days that each teaching about 40 minutes long. And, and, and one of the mornings, the teacher got up, or the, the speaker got up, and he spoke for about 15 minutes. And then he said, for the next 20 minutes, I want you to go out and get alone and listen for God. And I'm like, I'm looking around, and I'm like, really? Like, I thought in a, in a, in a room full of ministry leaders and, and, you know, pastors from all around the world, we kind of would have this one down, like like hearing from God and praying and I, I was like, maybe he just didn't have enough prep time, or this is filler, so he says, just, just go out and hear from God, right? Not because the time, I didn't, I didn't think that, because the time with God wasn't important. I, I thought that, that we would have that one kind of, that box checked already, but because I love and trust the guy who was speaking, I did it, So and I'll, I can still see where I went. I went out of the doors, and I, and I picked this white brick wall. I'm looking over the Georgia mountains, and, 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 and for me, I kind of Find the quiet spot, I prepare my heart for the next 20 minutes, and, and I just kind of put some earbuds in and, and, and start listening to a song ahead on repeat. And the only words I said, I said one sentence. I said, I'm here, Lord. I'm listening. I will never forget the words that God spoke on my life for the rest of my life when I finally let my guard down, when I finally slowed down and said, I'm here, say to me what I've been too busy to hear. Say what you've been trying to say. What I didn't realize was that my entire time for being there that week was for that very moment. It wasn't for the, the you know, we had five days of teaching. We had 30 to 20 to 30 hours total, but I wasn't there for 20 hours of teaching. I was there for 20 minutes to hear from God. I was there for solitude. It was one of the sweetest times with God that I've ever had in my life. And I came home recharged and refreshed like I hadn't been in a very long time. That notebook in my safe is a reminder to me that I need to regularly, daily pull away to a quiet place to be with Jesus on purpose to hear from him. Is there anyone in this room this morning that that might struggle a little bit in that area? too much doing, and and, and maybe not enough being. And, And maybe because of it, you're tired or you're frustrated. Maybe you just don't know why or what's going on in your heart, but you just feel something. You're ready for a break. Something's got to give. Maybe your battery's just drained a little bit. I think it's I think it's that way for a lot of us, and it makes sense because we live in a culture that downplays solitude. It downplays quiet and rest, something that God called beautiful and holy and necessary to our lives as the air that we breathe. Our culture calls it lazy and unproductive and foolish. Solitude solitude doesn't have any place in our culture anymore. That's why I believe it's the secret. So the question we have to answer is, is it possible that because of our culture, we spend more time caring for and charging our devices than we do our own souls. If so, and that's you, change it today, right? That's what this is all about. Remember, solitude is a spiritual discipline. It's a habit. Habits take time and work. It takes training. In my house, I have four athletes. They train like crazy. They eat like crazy. They train like crazy. Why would we not do the same thing spiritually? Paul talks about that. You know, bodily exercise is profitable, but how much more is spiritual discipline? Why wouldn't we do the same? Let's stop giving up so quick. Let's, let's. So if you're like me, let's a little pause here. If you're like me, you do things for a few days or maybe a week, and you're like, ah, I'm not really seeing the results. I should have, I should have a six-pack. It's been a week. I've never had a six-pack, but... So if you do, God bless you. But it's been a week. I should be feeling something. but I should be seeing results. It doesn't happen that long. So let's stop giving up when we're not seeing results fast enough with God. Remember, faith, the definition of faith, we have to have faith that God is working. Faith is the assurance of things we hope for. It's the evidence of things we don't see. So just because you don't get it right away, you don't see it right away, keep believing in faith that God is working, so give yourself lots of grace here because it's gonna take, take this habitual, repeated letting go of yourself on a daily basis. Remember what Jesus said, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That sounds a lot like surrender to me. In silence and solitude, what we're really doing is we're practicing the habit of surrender. It's this continual letting go, like letting go of ourselves, letting go of our will for God's will, letting go of our desire for control and approval and letting go of all of our agendas, letting go of the noise so that we can finally hear God again. I love how one author puts it. He said this, he said, silence and solitude is a letting go moment by moment of the illusion that we are the center of the universe. And that's the big idea I hope you leave with today, that spiritual solitude is disconnecting from the world in order to reconnect or connect with God. And the last thing we're going to see in this text about solitude is that the end result, it's the end result of a life that practices and implements what, following Jesus into solitude. Let's look at verses 36 through 39. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Now remember the speed and pace in the context of the first chapter that we talked about. We're watching this beautiful rhythm of Jesus' life and ministry. He, comes, he goes in, into solitude, into an intense time of ministry, back into solitude, and now in verses 36 through 39, we're seeing the result of all of that time with God in his life. Look what's happening. He's in Capernaum now at the height of his popularity. This town is at a fever pitch with excitement. They're seeing miracles. They're seeing healings, demons being casted out. We sometimes I read way too fast for that. Imagine the life change in this town. Moms and dads have their kids back from demon possession. Maybe a man who was lame and poor all his life is fully healed, possibly able to find work again, maybe even a wife. This woman and this mother, she's been healed of a disease and she can finally go back to the family that she's been separated from for years because of it. Imagine that. Why wouldn't everybody be looking for Jesus? right? God's being glorified, lives are being changed, and souls are being saved. This is an epic ministry. So understandably, everybody's looking for him. And when they finally find him, they're like, Jesus, where have you been? Where have you been? Everybody's looking for you. You're needed. You are the most popular person in the world. This is it. This is what we've been waiting for. You're the most sought-after person in the world right now. Let's be real. Let me ask you a question what if this were you? What if somebody told you everyone in the world is looking for you to get time with you, to hear you speak, to listen to your wisdom, to finally recognize and see your giftedness that that God's put in you? I mean, is there anything more tempting to fill or stroke the ego more than to hear that you're loved, you're needed, and you're popular? Everyone is looking for you. You're an influencer, right? That's the big word. People would kill for ministries like this. To have a million followers, 10 million on TikTok, whatever it is, they would kill to have a social media following like that. Everyone in the world's tweeting about you because you're doing a ton of good. God's being glorified, so what's wrong with that? There's nothing inherently wrong with that unless popularity and influence and prestige was actually the goal. The disciples thought it was. They thought Jesus was there to be on the scene, overthrow the Roman government. Jesus knew it wasn't. He wasn't there for that. He was crystal clear about it, and because of those times of silence and solitude, he comes out of his time of prayer with the Father with crystal clarity on what his next steps were. Jesus knew his mission, and so can we. He was clear on his purpose. He knew his calling down to the letter because he knew his Father's voice. And these rhythms, these habits, it kept him trusting the Father and denying himself, Right? He wasn't here to be popular or great or successful. That wasn't his calling. And by the way, it's not ours either. He came for three reasons. To seek and save the lost, to lay his life down as a ransom for many, and to come so that we could have life and have it to the fullest. And that's exactly what he did And he knew exactly what they needed to do next, so he sets his heart and his sights on the next town. He says, we must go on. No, we're not going back, because this is why I came. In all of this this morning, here in Mark chapter 1, and literally all throughout the Gospels, we see three character qualities that you see over and over again in Jesus' life and ministry because of it. Because of solitude. Listen to these three words. He's present, he's unhurried, and he's thoughtful. In every encounter you see him with, with every person, regardless of who they are, whether they're a friend or a foe, Jesus is fully present. He's all in. It doesn't matter. Like, he's... Whoever's in front of him is the most important person in the world and on his calendar, despite the fact that there are literally crowds around them threatening to crush their bodies in him and the disciples. It's like all of that fades into the background. Jesus doesn't even see it, and whoever he's talking to at the time is crystal clear in focus. Everything else blurs into the background. That becomes his most pressing appointment. He's always fully present. You are his most pressing appointment, and he will always be fully present. Jesus was never in a hurry. Do you ever notice that? He's never in a rush. He's never worried about the traffic or the, the camel jam, whatever you want to call it. He's, 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 he's never running late to the last minute appointment. He's never running in at the end. He's always built in margin. And that's one of the things I love the most about him. If we want to see someone, if you think you have a full calendar, you need to look at Jesus's life. He's never stressed, never bothered, and never frustrated with the people in front of him. Unless they're a Pharisee, there's a good reason. Jesus was always full of peace and the gospel say he was full of power and the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what I want to be as a husband, as a dad, as a friend, as a coworker, as a disciple of Jesus. This is the way that I want to live. Present, unhurried, and thoughtful. Anyone else? Right? But because of the hectic pace of the world we live in, we haven't learned to make that a regular part of our lifestyle, so we struggle to live like that. Maybe that's what's missing in our, in our American Christian context. John Mark Comer said it this way. He said, the wilderness or solitude is a place of weakness. It's a place of strength. Wasn't a place of weakness, excuse me. The, the, the wilderness or solitude isn't a place of weakness. It's a place of strength. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness because it was there and only there that Jesus was at the height of his spiritual powers. It was only after a month and a half of prayer and fasting in the quiet place that he had the capacity to take on the devil himself and come away unscathed. That's why over and over again, you see Jesus come back to the eramos, the place of solitude, to the quiet place. In church, until we submit our busyness, our ambitions, and our restlessness, and our work to him, it's not going to get any better for us. Silence and solitude is spiritual surgery, where the potter himself can reshape and reform the clay that's, made, that's been made brittle but just by, just by life or circumstances or sin or just maybe our own busyness or distraction and selfishness. I think at times like this, there's this, there's this tendency to start feeling guilty, right? To, to feel that sting of the things we haven't been doing. This is the furthest thing from that. This is not another uh, 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 do better or do more Christian guilt trip on your life. This is an invitation, this is, just, this is for all of us to, to assess that check engine light that maybe the Holy Spirit's flashing in our souls. Because when God lays something on us that we know we need to get right or we know we need to start doing or maybe we need to stop doing, that's an invitation of grace. It's an invitation from a heavenly father, a good father who loves you. And like any good and gracious and patient father, he bids and invites us to respond to it. Respond to what you're hearing and feeling in this moment. This is all about responding to that call, to that invitation from him. So if you feel that sting, like I have so many times in the past year, I want you to resist that compulsion. I want you to fight it. Push it down. And I, I, I want you to resist running and hiding from that. Because this isn't about some heavenly scorecard. It's, there's, there's no, nobody's keeping score. Because your scorecard's already been tallied. That's the good news. In Jesus Christ, you have a perfect score. He's permanently stamped your scorecard with his blood, and it's perfect. Nobody can ever separate you from his love. So say yes to the invitation. But first things first, right? Because really, you have, we have two invitations to respond to this morning. The first one, if you haven't already, is to commit your heart and life to Jesus Christ. If you're here and you can't say you've ever done that for sure, it, it, but, but you know lately that, that God's been stirring something inside of you, he's prompting you, and, and, and you feel that, that heart pounding, and you know that he's been asking you to lay your life down, just say yes. I mean, you're in the best company you could ever be in. This room is a bunch of redeemed sinners. Just a bunch of people who literally have sat where you've sat before, feeling that, that pounding heartbeat and the million questions that are going through your mind right now about whether God's real or, or what he's going to ask you to do or if he's going to ask you to go live in a hut in Africa somewhere and give your life to him. Let me, let me just help you with those for a second. That pounding heart, that's evidence that God is as real as you and I talking right now. It's evidence that you're still alive and that God's not done with you. And Jesus Christ, the one who created that heart and holds every heartbeat and every day of your life in his very capable hands, is asking you to lay that same heart down to watch what he does with it. As for the questions you have, Jesus himself is the one who said, ask and keep on asking and it will be answered. Knock and keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. There's, gonna be, there's always going to be questions and, and coming to Christ, you might have a million more. It, that's the beauty of relationship. He's not frustrated by your questions. He's always there for your questions and as for Africa, I have no idea what he's going to do with your life. He might be waiting for you there but I think it's more likely that he's waiting for you in the quiet place. Maybe it's not Africa he's calling you to. Maybe it's your living room. So don't worry about Africa right now. Just worry about being with him. The second invitation, the invitation for all of us in this room is to say yes to following him into the secret place. If you are weak in this area, this is an invitation to be with him. It's an invitation to relationship. Jesus is bidding you and I to come every day, to make it a daily habit, to to come away from everyone and everything and to finally get quiet and just be. And all of that sounds great, but how do we actually do it? That's the question I always ask. Okay, Adam, it's great. What does it look like? It's actually different for everyone, but I think there's three common elements to, to, to solitude, practical steps that we can take and make our own. Be still, let go, and listen. Be still, let go, and listen. Be still in his presence. Just relax for a minute. I, I'm, I'm telling you, this is, this is you in your, in your quiet place. Relax. This might be the hardest part for all of us at this point. Take 10 minutes if you want. Take 20 minutes. It doesn't matter. Don't have an agenda. I personally like to put my earbuds in and listen to like instrumental worship or whatever, just piano, no words. Um, and if I know the song, I have to skip it because then my mind will go a thousand different ways. But just something to get your heart in that mode. It's just calming to me. It helps me relax. Whatever it takes, just sit and just be. Be silent and breathe. Let the thoughts come because they're going to Come. And by the way, so will accusations from the enemy, right? You're going to be sitting there. You might start feeling stupid. You might feel uncomfortable. You might feel, man, this is not working. This is just a waste of time. And and all of this, it just comes and comes and comes. Those are lies from the pit of hell. Because Satan wants nothing more than for you to give this up and walk away and miss out on the power of God. Of course he does. That's what war is. War is getting your enemy to surrender and quit. Fight it. Fight that with everything you have. I'm telling you because, I'm telling you this now because it's going to happen. So just write it down, tuck it away because when those thoughts come, you're going to need that little tip. Push through it and pray through that. Other thoughts are going to bombard your mind too. Maybe it's like things, you, you, to-do lists or shopping lists or gardening or all these things are going to come. It's, it's, it's all going to start hitting you. All the things you've been wanting to accomplish for like the last 20 years, they're going to hit your mind. Almost like anything and everything can cross your mind at a time like this. And you know why? It's because your brain and your spirit have no idea what to do with Silence. We are so out of practice. We have no idea. So it's going to try to fill it, right? It's it's going to put stuff in there. So here's what I like to do. One thing I like to do is have a pen and a notebook, and I just put it out with, I just just start writing it out. You know, put the good things down. Put the the to-dos down. Write them down and just move on. That way you've captured it for later. Do it as long as you have to. Just, Just trust me. All those thoughts will stop at some point. And when all that noise stops, just be still and allow Jesus to hold you in that moment. Then let go. That's number two. Let go. Just really let go. Surrender your will to his. Surrender your self-will, your plans. Lay it all at his feet and just walk in that quiet time with empty hands and light shoulders. And the last step is to listen. Don't worry about whether, don't worry about the thoughts or your thoughts or his thoughts. Just listen. If you have your pen and your journal there, maybe just write out whatever comes. Now, I know this might be the hardest part of all because we like to do all the talking, but you can trust me on this. God's commitment God's commitment to you and his ability to speak goes way beyond your ability to listen. And just so enjoy that moment, enjoy that time because you're gonna need it. We need this every day. So, so even if you don't feel filled up when you walk away, even if you don't feel like anything happens, have faith and trust him that he is working. Keep at it. Make it, make it a priority, give it time, have a place and a purpose. And I wanna close with an encouragement from a pastor and an author who's not only preached this stuff, but he's also lived it for the last 20 years. And this is what he said. He said, I encourage you to allow a lot of time and a lot of practice at this. Few of us have life-giving rhythms. So rearranging our days to stop and be with Jesus is a major shift. Add to this the reality that little silence exists in our culture and in our families, and the challenge can feel overwhelming. Overwhelming. But I can assure you that if you persevere and ask the Holy Spirit for help, you will find that God's been waiting for you. You'll get to know him in ways that happen only in silence and solitude. You're listening to God muscles. They're gonna develop slowly, but they will develop. And by God's grace, your capacity to be with Jesus will enlarge and expand. But most importantly, you'll discover as millions of others have across the ages that his love really is better than life.